When I was a kid, my grandfather used to tell me all the time that I was part Native American. But, but not just any Native American, not just your run-of-the-mill generic Native American heritage. He would proudly tell me that we were part of the Blackfoot tribe. Now, side note, turns out that's not even kind of true. Uh, years <laughs> later, after he passed away, I took one of those 23andMe DNA tests. I'm not even kind of Native American. I'm basically just a European mutt, which is what most of us are here in America. Anyways, back to the point of the story. Growing up, thinking I was part of the Blackfoot tribe, there was a tribal leader named Crowfoot in the Blackfoot tribe, and he became known for his peaceful relations with Canada, particularly as Canada was expanding as a nation. So much so that when the Canadian Pacific Railroad was being built and they needed to build on part of his land, the Canadian government approached Crowfoot with an offer, and they said this, Crowfoot, if you will give us the land that we need to build the railroad, you can ride on the railroad whenever you want, wherever you want, for free. And so they made a deal on that day. They finished the Canadian Pacific Railroad, and Crowfoot received a lifetime pass. It was put in a beautiful case. Crowfoot was said to have worn it around his neck for the rest of his life, and it entitled him to go wherever he wanted, wherever he wanted, forever. There was just one problem. As far as we know, Crowfoot never stepped foot on a train. He had the right, the freedom to travel anywhere he wanted, but he never availed himself to the right that he had. I read an article this week that said this, there are a lot of Christians like Crowfoot. They possess the promises of God. They know them, they carry them around, they frame them, they hang them on their walls, they may even tattoo them on their body, but they never actually make use of these promises. They never make use of the promises of God. Charles Spurgeon once said this, God never gives us a promise he does not intend for us to use. Paul Tripp says this of the promises of God, God's promises are meant to blow your mind and settle your heart. His promises are meant to leave you in awe of him and in wonder at the glory of his grace. His promises are designed to be the way that you interpret and make sense of your life. Do you stand with hope and courage on the awesome promises of God or do you walk through the quicksand of questioning their reliability? This is what this Advent series is all about. The promises of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And my hope for you as one of your pastors is that over these next few weeks is that you would not just hear these promises and not that you would just carry them around with you or tuck them away for safekeeping, but that you would actually believe them, believe that they are for you and that you would lean into them and bank your life on them. So up first for week one, the promise of a new covenant, the promise of a new covenant. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, while you're turning there, let me give you a quick recap of what's happening in Jeremiah for context. If you know your Bible well, you know that most of Jeremiah is pretty depressing. From chapters 1 through 29, and then from chapters 34 through 52, it's basically just Jeremiah announcing God's judgment on their sin. But then in chapters 30 through 33, there is a noticeable difference in his tone, and we see glimmers of hope. And it's in the middle of this section, we find one of the most hope-filled foundational passages in the entire Old Testament. A passage that one scholar I read called the most important passage in the entire Old Testament. And that is the passage I want to read to you this morning. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. It says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, pause there for a second. There are two massive statements being made here. The first massive statement is that there will be a new covenant. 
They're used to the covenant they know, what would become called the old covenant. And there's a promise of a new covenant. And the second thing that's massive here is, look who's going to make the new covenant. God is going to make this new covenant. Now that phrase, new covenant, in the Hebrew language is this phrase. We'll put it on the screen. It's pronounced hadash barith. It appears one time in your entire Old Testament, and it's here in Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Now we read that phrase, and it doesn't pack much of a punch for us. But for the Jewish audience, this would have been a stunning statement, especially because of what Jeremiah is going to go on to say about what the new covenant is going to be like someday. Look back at the text, verse 32. This is not going to be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So again, who made the covenant? God made the covenant. And then the people broke the covenant. But look at verse 33. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here's what the new covenant's going to look like someday. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is similar language to what we see in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, for example. Let me show you this. You don't have to turn there. Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27. God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put, listen to this, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In other words, what the prophet is saying here is that there will be a new covenant someday. And one of the foundational characteristics of this covenant is going to be an inward heart change, listen to this, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now back to Isaiah, or excuse me, Jeremiah, skip down to verse 34. It says this, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. At which point the people listening to this must have thought, man, someday, someday they must have hoped, someday this new covenant will arrive. Someday. Now, later in the Bible, the author of Hebrews talks about this new covenant at length. And the author of Hebrews calls this new covenant a better covenant. Even more than that, the author of Hebrews is actually going to say that this new covenant makes the old covenant with Israel obsolete. It means it doesn't matter anymore because there's a new one that we're looking to. There's a new covenant that we're under. Maybe I can explain it like this. When I was a kid, uh, my dad in his truck, always carried around this uh, book of maps. Now, I know I'm going to lose so many people in the room <laughs> right now by saying this, but do you guys remember Rand McNally maps? Okay, we'll show you a picture for those of you who may have no clue what we're talking about. Kids these days will never know the pressure of trying to give your father directions out of a Rand McNally maps book and to see the disappointment in his eyes when you tell him to turn the wrong way. <laughs> well, these Rand McNally Atlas books were super helpful. They were great until a new technology came out that rendered them obsolete. And that new technology was something called MapQuest. Remember MapQuest? You type in your destination address and it would print out turn-by-turn -turn directions to your destination, which was great. It was amazing. It was way better than Rand McNally. The only problem with that was what if you decided to go somewhere other than you originally set out to go? Now you're in trouble. And this lasted for a time until something else came out that rendered MapQuest obsolete. And it was mobile GPS units, 
When I first moved to Portland, I had one of these in my car, and you type in the address, and it would tell you turn-by-turn -turn directions. If you turned the wrong way, it would reroute you to get back on the road. And this lasted for a while, and they were amazing, until 2007. In 2007, a little invention came out called the iPhone. And all of a sudden, every one of us were carrying around in our pockets a GPS unit that was better than any of the ones already on the market. And all the other technologies became obsolete. With each new advancement in technology, the old technology became antiquated and obsolete. Don't miss this. That is what the new covenant is going to do to the old covenant. The new covenant is going to make the old covenant antiquated and obsolete, to quote the author of Hebrews. So what makes this new covenant better than the old covenant? Because again, the author of Hebrews says, hey, this one's way better. You don't need to miss the old one because the new one's better. So what makes it better? Well, there are four reasons in the text this new covenant is going to be better. If you take notes, let me point these out. First, the first reason it's going to be better is the new covenant is going to be unconditional, unbreakable, and eternal. Think about it. The old covenant that God made with Israel was conditional, it was breakable, and it was temporary. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, listen to this, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. It's conditional. If you do this, then I will do that. It's a conditional covenant. It's also temporary. It has built-in obsolescence. It served a purpose for a time, but now again, it's unnecessary. It's obsolete, but the new covenant would not be like that. Let me show you this in the text. Look back at Jeremiah 31, verse 33, and notice the first person pronouns in the text. For this is the covenant, God says, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. In other words, God says to the people of Israel, guys, I got this. I got this. And it's because of his faithfulness to them, to us, that we can be absolutely secure in the new covenant. Whitney Woolard, who writes for the Bible Project, describes this reality like this. She says, the new covenant is explicitly introduced by the prophets in the context of total failure. The kings, the people, and even the religious leaders failed to keep God's commands. It turns out that God's covenantal people were nothing but covenant breakers. The curses of the covenant came upon them as they were exiled to Babylon. But there, the prophets give us hope. God would one day bring about a new covenant, and there are no stipulations. Listen, no stipulations to this unconditional covenant of grace. In the old covenant, this is dependent on your obedience and your behavior. But in the new covenant, God says to the people of Israel, I'm not going anywhere ever, no matter what. Second thing that makes the new covenant better. The new covenant will be marked by an internal heart change. By an internal heart change empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Jeremiah 31 verse 33, God says, he will put the law on our hearts within us. Ezekiel 36, 26, which we already looked at, says that God will give us a new heart and a new spirit. Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19 says that God will remove our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Charles Spurgeon, once preaching on this truth, said it this way. It is a great covenant promise that the heart shall be renewed, and the particular form of its renewal is this, that it shall be made living, warm, sensitive, and tender. 
It is naturally a heart of stone. It is to become, by a work of divine grace, a heart of flesh. That is a huge difference between the old and the new. The the old covenant gives us a bunch of rules to follow without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the power to actually follow the rules. But the new covenant promises to transform our hearts and by the power of the Holy Spirit give us the ability to walk in obedience to God. That's the promise of the new covenant. Third, the new covenant is a promise of personal relationship with God. This, in my opinion, is the most shocking difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant was made with a people. It was made with Israel, a a nation. But the new covenant is made with individuals that make up a collective. This is what Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34, when he says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Each of them shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Here's, Here's what that means. Though they didn't realize it at that point, what the prophet is saying is that under this new covenant, God is, just, God is not just some out there God. He's not out there on the distant horizon that is unknowable or untouchable. He is your God. He is near to you. The new covenant is a promise of a personal relationship with God. Fourth, fourth thing that makes it better. The new covenant promises full and, for, and final forgiveness of sins. That's the radical claim of verse 34 in the text we looked at. God says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Psalm 103 verse 12 says that as far as the east is from the west, he will remove our sin forever. And this would have been as shocking as it was confusing. When they heard it, they must have thought, full, final forgiveness of sins? You mean I don't have to keep making sacrifices to atone for my sins? That's right. You mean I don't have to keep making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year with my family to atone for the sins of my family? That's right. You mean I don't have to rely on a priest anymore to go into the Holy of Holies and mediate my relationship with God? That's right. You're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, that I will be forgiven fully and finally and forever under this new covenant someday? Yes. Yes. So as a review, the new covenant, the better covenant, the covenant that was promised to the people of Israel was unconditional, it was unbreakable, and it was eternal. It was marked by an internal heart change. It guarantees a personal relationship with the God of all creation and it offers full and final forgiveness of sins. That is what Jeremiah is saying. The question that they certainly asked and the question that you all should be asking is, well, when is this new covenant going to take place? And more importantly, how is it going to take place? When is it going to happen and how is it going to happen? With that question in mind, I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, if you're following along in your Bible, we'll put this verse on the screen in just a minute. Some 600 years after Jeremiah spoke these words on behalf of God, in the middle of nowhere, a baby was born. And this baby grew up. He lived a perfect life. He was perfect in what he said. He was perfect in what he did. He upheld the law and the requirement of the old covenant perfectly, something no one had ever done before. And when he was 30, roughly 33 years old, they crucified him. They murdered him. And just a few days before his death, on the night of his arrest, this man gathered his Jewish disciples together for Passover. And as they began the meal, he gave them a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he passed around a goblet of wine. And as they were drinking it, he said this in Luke chapter 22, verse 20. He said, this cup that is poured out for you, listen, is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant 
The new covenant that was promised to Israel way back in Jeremiah 31 was ushered into the world by the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. Israel looked forward to this day. They hoped for this day. They longed for this day. But we look back at this day and realize that it was Jesus who ushered this new covenant into the world for us. You may be thinking, well, Justin, like, so what? What what does this promise of a new covenant with God that he made to the Jewish people have to do with us? Because most of us aren't Jews. Most of us in this room would be classified as Gentiles, non-Jewish people. So does it have anything to do with us? Brothers and sisters, it has everything to do with us. Everything. Paul, in Ephesians 3 verse 6, says this, this mystery, he calls it a mystery, this mystery, I don't fully understand it, is that the Gentiles, in other words, you all, me, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body. They are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Friends, that means that the promise and the hope of a new covenant is our promise to cling to as well. Paul says in Romans that we have been grafted into this promise, grafted into this new covenant family. But even still, you might be thinking, well, Justin, how does this actually impact my life at all? Like, cool, part of a new covenant. What does that actually mean for me? Let me try to drill down a little bit here. Because the new covenant is open for all of us, Jew and Gentile, and because, Paul says, we have been grafted into this new covenant, brothers and sisters, we are under the new covenant of grace. Let me put these four realities back up on the screen. These four realities, what you see there, these are ours now. They're ours for the taking This new relationship with God is unconditional, it's unbreakable, it's eternal. It's marked by an internal heart change, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It guarantees personal relationship with the God of all creation. It offers full and final forgiveness of sins. Think about what this means. For those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, who secured for us the new covenant, who ushered in the new covenant, we have union with the triune God that is unconditional, unbreakable, eternal. According to the scriptures, we have now been given a new heart, a heart of flesh captured by the love of Christ, cared for and nurtured by our gracious Heavenly Father, and motivated and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we have now a personal relationship with the God of all creation. It's not that we all collectively have a relationship, it's that you have a relationship with the God of all creation. If you are in Christ, You are not, in some abstract sense, a person just made in God's image. You are his beloved son and daughter. God says to you, son and daughter, I will be your God. And the implication of this third point is staggering. Think about, just for a moment, all the ways God is described in the Bible. He is a father, a loving, compassionate father. He is a shepherd. In other words, he's a tenacious, watchful guardian of his sheep. He is a friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is a rock that we can build our life on. He is a refuge that we can seek shelter in. And then think about what this means. I mean, just think about the expanse of what this means. An entire solar system of blessings and privileges are opened up to us in the promise of the new covenant. Charles Spurgeon, who I've quoted you know, a dozen times already today, when preaching on this passage, noted that this phrase, I will be their God, comprehends, listen, All gracious titles in the Bible, all blessed promises in the Bible, and all the divine privileges, because of Jesus, all of those things are ours now. But it doesn't just say, the passage doesn't just say that he will be our God, it also says we will be his people. 
people. So he's not just our God, but we are his people, which means you, you are his treasured possession. He picked you. Sometimes when I tuck my daughters in at night, I'll say something like this to them. I'll go, Naya or Willa. I was thinking about something earlier today that I just can't get over. And they'll go, what, Daddy? I go, I was thinking about when Mommy and I were adopting you and how God could have matched us with any kid on planet Earth. There's like 8 billion people on planet Earth. And when God knew, when he heard my prayers for a child, and he looked out over all of creation and all of his beautiful children with me in mind as a father, he looked at you and said, there, her. That's her. That's the one. And then I pause, and they, they always know what I'm doing. I do this bit all the time. They're very kind to their old man. And they just sit and listen to me, and I go, girls, that's crazy. It's amazing that God, that God would choose me to be your daddy, and that he would choose you to be my little girl. Isn't that crazy? Friends, in a much more profound way, that is what happened to you, spiritually speaking. That is what happened to you, spiritually speaking. God chose us. He looked down on all of creation, according to, according to Ephesians 1, verses 5 and, 4 and 5. It says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In love, it says, he predestined us as adoption, as his children. We are his. We're his. But lastly, look back at the four promises. Lastly, we have full and final forgiveness of sins. We have full and final forgiveness of sins. In the Gospel of John, John tells us that on the cross, Jesus screamed out one final word. The last word out of Jesus' mouth before he died on the cross was recorded in Greek as tetelestai, which means it is finished. And for years, as embarrassing as this is to admit, I completely missed the power of that statement. I wrongly assumed that when Jesus said tetelestai, it is finished, that it was his way of throwing in the towel. That it was his way of saying, hey, I did it, it's over, I'm tired, I'm done. But friends, this was not a statement of defeat. It was a declaration of victory. Jesus Christ on the cross has said, the mission has been accomplished. Now make no mistake about it, his mission extends far beyond just forgiveness of our sins. But it definitely includes the forgiveness of our sins. He was declaring for all within earshot to hear, the work of redemption and forgiveness is done. So that on the cross of Jesus... Every sin that you and I have ever committed, every sin that you and I will ever commit was paid for fully, entirely, finally, forever. So that whatever your struggle is, whatever your issue is, he paid it in full. Your lust issue, tetelestai. Your unforgiving heart, tetelestai. Your pride, your greed, your addiction, tetelestai. Paid in full, done, forgiven. The new covenant promises us that we are no longer under judgment, but under mercy. We're no longer under wrath, but we're under grace. That's the promise of the new covenant. And yet, and yet, we are so prone to cling to the old covenant of the law, aren't we? We still grasp for the old covenant promises when the new covenant that is unbreakable, can't lose it, the grace that has been extended to us is ours. And we still reach back for that old way. I'll explain it like this. Earlier I mentioned the Rand McNally maps. If you were to visit my parents' house right now, and you were to go look at my dad's truck right now, you will find a Rand McNally map that is still well-loved and very used. Now, on the one hand, 
I find that endearing, that this man still chooses to use a paper map. But on the other hand, it's kind of absurd, right? (laughs) That he's riding around his truck with an iPhone in his back pocket looking at a paper map. Here's the thing. We do this all the time in our relationship with God. We still reach for the obsolete old covenant of law and conditions and distance from God. Even though the new covenant of unconditional grace and loving relationship with God is ours to claim right now. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you all week is that you would understand this new covenant of grace that you are a part of and that you would choose to live in light of the wonderful promise that has been extended to us in Jesus Christ.